Greetings, ladies and mantelgents, and welcome to this narration of the web novel, Humans Don't Make Good Familiars. If you are new to the series, there is a playlist listed in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 32 Hey, you! Someone shouted from behind me. My first instinct was to turn around and see who was calling me, but my mind went right back to the last time I did that. In a flash, I summoned Igus and whipped around to protect myself. Then I summoned Mormi and prepared to fight just in case. Once I was facing the person who called me, I saw when I looked like three nobles and their beast familiars. That's him, your lordship, that's the familiar who killed Unwell. One of them said to the most decorated of the three. He was the largest of them all and had several grey feathers indicating that he was quite old. The old one had many gold laces around his body, as well as the large jewels and the other two didn't have. Are you sure? The old Niamma asked in a gruff voice. Yes, Magister Gakil, the younger noble talking, turned to me. I will never forget that disgusting ape. The older Niamma, Magister Gakil, turned to me and began speaking. Investigator Mankin may have ruled in your favor, but it is inconceivable that a familiar could kill a high-ranking noble son and be allowed to live. I will rectify that situation. As soon as he said that, his lizard-like familiar reared up, on its hind legs and opened its now glowing red mouth. It then dropped its body and shot a ball of fire at me. I pushed my shield out and moved behind it as much as possible, but the force of the blast still knocked me off balance for a moment. I need some breathing room, I said quietly to myself and sent Mori away, then used shadow chanting to summon destiny. I threw it as hard as I could and flung it straight into the open mouth of the familiar that was charging up another shot. It went down its throat and killed it, causing it to fall forward with a thud. Destiny! I called out and she reappeared back in my hand. The two lesser nobles stepped back in fear, but not the older one. Impressive, but well, that was just a salamander. Let's see how you handle my prized familiar. Egos! A magic circle formed around the ground between myself and the three nobles, and a large horse-sized monster began to appear. It had scales, leathery wings, a short fat neck, and a long tail with spikes at the end. Behold! One of the lesser dragon species. A drake, the magistra said smugly. A freaking dragon, I screamed in my head. Zuma, I shouted. I don't care where you are and what you're doing, but you need to summon me now. What? Why? She asked through our mental connection. I'm under attack by the three nobles and his pet dragon. What? She yelled. Okay, one moment. Just as she said that, the drake opened its mouth and sprayed fire at me. My shield blocked most of it, but my legs and elbows got burnt bad. Ah! I yelled in pain as I thrust my destiny into the still open mouth. Instead of killing it, the drake backed up slightly and then bit into the spear, shattering the wooden haft and breaking off the tip, which it promptly spat into the floor. The metal tip laid on the ground, glowing red hot. I tried whacking the drake with the shaft but it didn't seem to notice. Maury! I shouted, and it appeared in my hand, taking the place of destiny's remains. I looked down, and the metal tip had disappeared as well, leaving only smoldering grass where it'd been laying. A new weapon won't save you, familiar. You die today, he said and cast some kind of spell that enveloped all of us in a greenish energy. Jake, get ready, Summer said. I smiled and laughed at the nobles. Not today, bye. I waited for a moment, and another, but nothing happened. 
Jake, something's wrong. I'm trying to summon you, but nothing's happening. So Musada panic. The nobles started laughing. <laughs> Did you really think that it was going to be that easy? We took precautions to prevent your escape. A preparatory ritual means to keep a familiar from being summoned away. We simply needed to activate it after confirming that Igius would be enough to kill you, the old magistrate boasted. Suma, he's using some kind of ritual to keep me here, I said. I'm sorry, I'm on my way back, she yelled. Just hold on. I swung Mori at the drink and caught it at the neck, leaving a gash, but not getting it, unfortunately. It let out a pain, screeched, and swiped at me with its claws, which left punctured holes at Igus, but not large ones, and knocked me back. A familiar that relies totally on tools and physical strength to fight. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. You are the familiar of a low-class wretch who barely passed fifth-level support mage. Despite his words, I don't think he expected Mori to be able to hurt his drake. His voice had lost its pride, and was now much colder and more calculating. I guess, get him. The drake growled and took another swipe at me, but I quickly stepped back, dodging its attack. It spun around and used its tail to knock me off my feet, causing me to hit the ground hard. I rolled out of the way just as it sprayed the area of the ground that I was on with its fire again, barely avoiding getting burned. The drake then attempted to crush me with its tail while I was on the ground and running away. And it would have too, if I hadn't thrust Mori into its path, forcing it to reel back and stop its attack. I scrambled to my feet and backed up out of its range of its claws and tail, and tried summoning destiny so that I could try throwing it at the drake from a distance. As soon as it appeared, the metal tip fell to the ground at the exact spot the drake had broken it earlier. Good to know, bad to find out. I mumbled to myself and resummoned Mori. I tried thinking of a strategy, but the drake didn't give me much time. Its attacks very quick and in succession. It took everything I had just to keep myself from getting cut in half or burnt. It was just a massive understatement to say that I was grateful for Igus. I'm almost there, Jake. Hold on, Sumu yelled. I thought about trying magic, but I needed to focus to do that. And this drake wasn't going to let me close my eyes and imagine a fireball. It reared up and came back down with a thud. I expected another spray of fire, but instead was greeted with a huge blast that threw me back and knocked Igus out of my arm, breaking my arm in the process. Ah! I yelled, grabbing my arm that was now broken at the elbow. This is for my son, the magistrate said, and the drake towered over me, readying another blast of fire. I thought I was dead. I readied myself for pain. But instead of dying, I heard Suma yell, Fly! Crimson Bolt! The bolt of magic hit the fire drake square in the head, sending it toppling over. Suma landed between me and the drake and immediately cast a spell that started healing me. She wasn't able to do much, but she was able to mostly fix my elbow before the drake got up and prepared to attack again. I'm sorry, Jake. Shouldn't have left you alone. I'm fine. Let's just get through this, I said and grabbed her to retreat from the drake. We were able to make it out of the green energy field, but the drake and the nobles still pursued us. The drake was big, but it was too slow, so we were able to stay ahead of it. But the lesser nobles had familiars of their own, and they were not as slow. Some kind of hyena thing bit my leg and caused me to trip, but I stabbed it with Mori and started running again. Suma was dealing with the white cat-like familiar of the other lesser noble by staying too high for it to reach and shooting fire at it. However, 
She underestimated it, and the feline familiar jumped straight up twenty feet and caught Suma on the wing with its paws. She fell down and hit the ground. I jumped in and stabbed the familiar before it could get to Suma, though. Suma, are you okay? I yelled as I picked her up. She didn't respond. I started running again while holding Suma, but was cut off by a wall of fire made by the magistrate. Nowhere to run, you low-class piece of trash, he sneered. I considered charging through the flames and almost did, but that might have hurt Suma more than she could handle. I looked at the nobles and was filled with so much anger. They burned me, broken my arm, and tried to kill me. All of that was one thing. But Suma was non-responsive. She might have been dead, and all that anger and pain did something. It started pouring out its magic. Before I knew it, I had enveloped the area that we were all standing in in my own field of navy blue magical enemy. I am going to kill you, I bellowed. End of chapter. Part 33. I'm gonna kill you, I bellowed. The navy blue magic that had been emanating from me began to swirl violently like a tornado. It was so strong that the nymphs had to land and huddle on the ground behind the drake. The drake itself seemed unaffected by the tempest and prepared to spray its fire at Suma and me. I summoned Igus and raised it to defend us, but it had been punctured so many times that fire would still make it through, even if only a little. I threw it on my back and held Suma close to my chest and added a layer to protect her. I didn't mind getting burned so long as she was safe. The drake launched its attack and I prepared for the burning pain to hit me. And it did. Kind of. It burned, but not from the heat. It was absolutely freezing. I turned to look back at the drake and saw it clawing at its own mouth, which was now frozen over. Inversion, I said to myself. Seeing my opportunity, I put Suma down and covered her with Igus, then summoned Mori and slashed at the drake's neck again. This time, the wound was deep, and based on how much blood there was, I hit something important. But it didn't go down right away. It took a slash at me with its claws, and without Igus, it left a deep wound, but not fatal. It was moving slower, probably, because it was cold and that it was cold-blooded. Kill him immediately, the magistrate ordered, from his little huddle. The drake huffed and started to sway. It must have been getting lightheaded from the blood loss. This time, when it reached out to slash at me, it was like I was swimming in molasses. I dodged to the side and brought Maury down on its wrist, severing its hand entirely. It screeched and threw its hand and head up in pain, which left the perfect opening. I thrust Maury straight into its throat, finally killing it. The nobles looked as if they had just seen a Grim Reaper himself, and if Suma was dead, they may as well have. I ran to Suma to check on her, forgetting the nobles for a moment. Part of me hoped they left. Another part of me hoped that they did something stupid to give me a reason. Suma! I said gently, shaking her. I saw her eyes twitch and saw a slight up and down of her breathing. She was alive. He... he killed the drake, one of them said. It was one of the former lesser nobles. How... how, how is that possible? Shut up! The magistrate snapped at him. Just summon more familiars. We'll get him. He's injured. He can't go on much longer. But, sir, he... Look around. Can't you feel it? The other noble said, sounding terrified. 
It's chaos magic. Lights like he's some kind of Viking or demon. I hadn't noticed yet, but the energy I was emitting wasn't going away. It was still pouring out of me, but it was no longer swirling around. I don't care if he's a chaos dragon himself. Now summon your familiars and kill him. But sir, we don't have any more familiars. One of them stood. I stood up just as the magistrate scoffed at the lesser nobles and began summoning one of his familiars. It wasn't a drink this time. It was a borag. That was fine with me. I'd taken the last couple of moments to focus my magic and imagine a spell of sorts. Well, calling it a spell might be an exaggeration. It was really more of a wild idea. I compressed my magic down as far as I could and made it into a dense as I could hold. Then I imagined it shooting out of my opponent like a bolt of lightning or a beam of light. It was all focused on my hand. All I had to do was aim. Some pitiful spell won't save you. Borags may not have much in the way of life force density, but that makes them more resistant to life force attacks and spells that affect the body. This is where you finally pay. No, Jack, attack. The Borag lunged forward. However... It was straight into my spell. I didn't want to cast an effect. I wanted to create an equivalent of a high-powered water cutter with magical energy. I let loose the built-up mana all at once, and it tore through the Borak's entire body in an instant, as well as several boulders and trees behind it. From the front of its skull to the back of its hindquarters, it was clean three-inch hole through the length of its body. It crumpled to the floor with a disgusting squished thump. The magistrate stepped back in horror. No, that, that's not... N no! The magistrate let his words trail off for a moment, but then erupted into a sickening laugh. <laughs> well, if you want something done right! He raised his wingtip to the sky, an enormous ball of fire formed as the other two cowered behind him, both of their eyes transfixed on me. I looked around. The inversion magic was putting the area. That fireball wasn't going to work. I didn't even have to try and stop him. I let him build it up as much as he wanted. He hurt Suma, so I want him to feel like I do at that exact moment. I want him to feel the frustration and rage I was feeling knowing that no matter how I tried, it wasn't going to work on me. Go ahead, I dared him. I won't even try and stop you. But know one thing. When your Bible fails, my sword won't. He seemed shocked for a moment, then screamed as he brought the ball of fire down around me. I have to admit, it was the coldest thing I ever felt in my entire life, and the most mind-boggling experience. To be completely engulfed in flames and feel cold was odd, to say the least. Once the flames cleared up a bit, I watched as the magistrate's pride and sadistic glee vanished and was replaced by absolute horror at the sight of me standing completely unharmed. Run, I said simply. The two lesser nobles listened and immediately flew away. The magistrate, however, stayed. I don't think it was bravery, though. I think he'd just lost hope and would resigned himself to die. He fell face down on the floor and began to sing. I ignored him and walked over to check on Suma again. She was just beginning to regain consciousness. Did, did, did we love? she asked. End of chapter. Chapter 34 All the fire blast and fogs of chaos magic eventually drew other Niyama to the area, who, 
in turn called for the guards. I found out what happened later from Suma, as I had passed out and stayed out for the solid 24 hours. Suma spent some time healing my wounds while I was out, and she was interrogated as well. I later learned that Suma consented on my behalf for them to perform another memory dub on me. With that, they were able to gain evidence needed to arrest the two former lesser nobles, as well as the now former magistrate. His noble title was stripped from him and given to the next in line of his family, his oldest son. I heard a rumor that he tried to get himself, but it was never confirmed. When I did wake up, I was starving and sore, but all of my burns had healed and only a bit of the stiffness remained in my elbow. Suma had been tended to as well. The blow from the white cat familiar broke one of her wings and legs, but she was up and about by the time I was awake again. I also apparently continued to admit that fog of magical energy for another hour after losing consciousness, and it didn't disperse for nearly six hours. They actually had to remove everyone from the area because all their spells kept getting inverted. I heard you finally woke up, investigated a hull said flying into the room that I was in. How are you doing? Better, I said, and took a big bite of something called Magoipa. My arm is a bit sore, though, I said with a full mouth. You sure have a knack for getting into trouble, it seems, but everything has been sorted out, so I don't think you have much to worry about with the former magistrate's family, Dahl said. Suppose that's a relief, I said after swallowing. Oh, and you have a visitor, he said. Suma, I asked. Not exactly, he said. Meanwhile, another nymph, much larger and well-decorated, flew in. Hello, Jake, he said. My name is Dudaka Sopra. I am the Grand Duke of the Royal Citadel and of the country of Ambos. It is nice to meet you. Magistrate Kakil's POV Do you remember what the worst day of your life is? I do. It was when the city guard showed up at my home and told me that my son, my youngest child, had been murdered by some low-class wretch. I had many favors owed to me as an influential member of noble society, and I call on as many as I needed to find out who did it. I found out that there were two witnesses, lesser nobles who had their titles stripped from them after the fact, a mockery of the highest order. I had them brought to me, and they told me everything. They told me who killed my son, and they told me how he died in agony. There is no greater sorrow than the fury of apparent mourning, and likewise, no greater rage can be kindled than apparent who seeks vengeance. I spent countless gold pieces and emptied storehouses full of mana reserves to purchase a pre-prepared ritual that can stop a familiar from being summoned. It was so expensive because the ritual of that nature is illegal by royal decree. But I didn't care. Not then. Not now. If I had to empty every storehouse and ambush to kill the familiar and his master, then I would. The ritual was stored on a jewel, and when I wanted to activate it, then all I had to do was input some mana. I planned my trap. First myself and two now-defunct nobles would corner the familiar after its master had left it alone. Then one of them would send out a salamander familiar so as to probe the familiar's strength. If the salamander proved inefficient, I will utilize the ritual of summoning of my own personal familiar, Aegeus, a lesser dragon species called Drake. 
a few days later. The familiar proved stronger than predicted. It is not immediately killed by Aegeus and was even able to contact his master and attempt to flee. They made it outside the effective area of the ritual. But it didn't matter as the master had been neutralized already. There was no escape anymore. The familiar was at its end now, attempting to radiate magic in a desperate effort to save its life and the life of its master. Aegeus would make a quick work of him, but I wanted him to suffer like my son did. I would make his last moments on Atmosia one of torment, and I would do it with my own hand. At least, that's what I thought as I brought out a large ball of fire as I could muster and run to the vermin's head. For a moment, I felt peace, justice, and joy at having avenged my son. But then it was all stolen by that thing once more. It emerged from the flames unscathed, and it spoke only a single, soul-crushing word to me. It told me to run. I don't know if it was out of defiance or sorrow, but I did not run. I stayed. Part of me wanted to die. Another, much larger part of me wanted something I knew would never have. My son back in my embrace. And vengeance. Investigator De Hull's POV. De Hull, we have reports of nobles fighting just outside of the town, one of the guards under my command said after barging in. Again, I replied annoyed. I stood up from my resting perch and followed him to the area. To my surprise, the people involved were faces I'd seen before, Suma and a familiar sentinel, or Jake. When I arrived, Suma was being tended to by a healer for a broken wing and neck, and Jake was unconscious and radiating some form of blue magical energy. I tried to enter it, but was warned away, apparently. Magic doesn't work right inside the field, and they had to move everyone away from Jake so that they could cast heating and other types of magic to investigate the area. Suma, I called out to her. What happened? Three noblemen attacked us. I was knocked unconscious, but Jake defended me, Subaru explained. I looked over at Jake, through the thick fog of energy, and saw him laying on the ground. I went closer and spotted what appeared to be a dismembered corpse of a drake. Jake did that, I whispered to myself. It took a while, but Jake did eventually stop producing that energy, and we were able to recover him from the fog. We had to drag him out by his feet with our borax to perform healing on him afterwards, but we managed it. He didn't wake up for a full day. Honestly, I thought he was going to die. But he was strong and recovered. While he was asleep, Suma gave us permission to do a memory delve for some answers, and we found a lot more than we bargained for. Jake was dreaming when the delve was performed, and our memory mage found out the hard way that what he was dreaming of. Apparently, he was dreaming of the battle in which Jake had been burned, stabbed, and nearly crushed and beaten, but still kept fighting. He managed to kill a drink, take full force blast of fame without damage, and protect his master all before finally losing consciousness. Our mage had to repeatedly stop to get her bearings, or to stop crying. By the time it was over, all our Dalva would say was, Vikings. End of chapter. Chapter 35 Suma and I were released without incident except for the strange staring that Dahal kept doing when he thought I wasn't looking, 
and a lengthy conversation with the Grand Duke Duca Sopra. He asked me if I was okay and other questions about the attack. Then he started to ask me about, well, me. To be fair, I just killed a trick, something that is difficult for a trained group of experienced mages, apparently, and in one-on-one combat. So I guess I should have expected people to be curious. He asked me about where I was from, what I did, about my magic. He was quite surprised to hear that it was a form of chaos magic. Or at least, I think he was. I'm getting better at turning, but I'm still not perfect. Eventually, Suma joined us and she answered a few questions as well before the Grand Duke thanked us both, while speaking with him and excused himself, wishing us both a safe day. Before going, he also assured us that we would do everything in his power to punish the nobles who attacked us, and he would make an example of them in case any others got an idea of revenge. I decided not to go home for a couple days after the attack, just in case any more nobles tried to attack Suma. Just like last time, I rented a room from a nearby kennel and paid with my manor. Then Suma and I did something that we were dreading for a while. What did you do? It's only been three days! The Niemma, who made destiny, Mori and Igus squawked. How did you even put these holes in it? He said angrily as he examined the shield. And what happened to the spear? It looks like you smashed it against a boulder. Why is the tempering of a metal tip ruined? The more he talked, the more depressed he sounded. I know. I, I know. I'm sorry, I said. But we were attacked and everything got kind of broken in the fight. Well, except Mori. The sword. The Yammer Braxmith smite. Well, I guess I knew that this would happen on a level eventually. I just didn't expect it so soon. He shook his head and used magic to lift up Igus. He looked over it again and then back at me. So did they at least do well? Yeah, they did. Igus, the shield took everything like a champ. I would have been skewered without it. And Destiny gave me range when I needed it. I took out several of those nobles familiars with her. That Drake would have killed me if I hadn't had them all, I told him. When I said the word Drake, his head perked up a bit, and the feathers on his head did too. A Drake, you say? His voice sounding much lighter. The things I made help beat a Drake. He started standing a bit taller now, and his chest was even poked out a bit more. Well, how about that? So, um, can they be fixed? I wondered. He looked over everything one more time. The shield will need to be patched and belted back together, but it is doable. Uh, the spear, however, that might be a lost cause. At least the shaft, anyway. I could retemper the metal, but there is always a chance the wooden shaft will break again. You might want to consider ordering a new one out of the metal tube. That way it will be harder to break and easier to repair, he explained. How much is this all going to cost? Simmer spoke up. I won't lie, probably a lot, maybe a whole dull jar, he said. How much is that? I asked. A lot. A dull jar is what we use to store mana outside of our bodies. One dulger could hold two whole days worth of mana from two normal Niyama. Or maybe half a day for your current court mage, she explained. Can I pay half now and half on completion? I asked the blacksmith. He wobbled his head back and forth in a thinking motion and then said, Well... I don't know how for sure how much it'll cost until it's all said and done, but if you want to put down a payment, then that's fine with me. He went into another room for a moment and brought back a small jar-looking thing about the size of his body. How do you carry that? 
I wondered. It's lighter than it looks. Also, it's empty. He replied and scooted in front of me. Just put in as much as you can manage, and we can worry about the rest later. I knew how to do this part, as it was pretty similar to when I paid for my room at the kennel. Only this jar was a lot bigger. I placed my hand on the top and started forcing my manor into the jar. I had to be careful. The first time at the kennel, I tried this and it broke the jar. Slowly, I let the manor flow into the container. But unlike the kennel, I didn't feel any resistance. So I let the flow a bit harder, assuming that I was holding back too much. Are you okay, Jake? Asuma asked a moment later. Yeah, I'm fine, I said with my eyes still closed, trying to focus on not breaking the bottle. Are you sure, son? The blacksmith asked, sounding a bit worried. Yeah, why? I asked, opening my eyes and seeing that the jar was almost full and glowing brightly enough that it would have us avert our eyes. I immediately stopped, as I hadn't wanted to accidentally lose control and break the bottle. Oh, uh, sorry. The blacksmith peeked around the wing as he was using to shield his eyes from the light. It didn't do that the last time you paid, did it? Summer paid last time, I said. Speaking of which, it didn't cost this much to have it made. Why is it so much to have it repaired? Most of the price is the metal tube. It's difficult hollowing out a metal rod, the Niyama said, still side-eyeing the glowing dull jar. Jake, did this happen when you paid for your room? Summer asked. I don't know. The thing I used then wasn't see-through, I said to her. Why are you hollowing out a pre-bolt rod? Why not just use flat sheet and then roll it? I asked, turning back to the blacksmith. Evenly heating a hollow tube with flame magic is nearly impossible alone, and unless you want to pay a higher price, I can't hire someone to help me, he said. I thought for a moment as he covered up the brightly glowing dull jar with a rag, allowing us all to open our eyes again. Can I see your working area? I asked. I wanted to see how you create fire with magic and how you mold the metal. My question seemed to catch him off guard, but he agreed and we walked to his back room. Suma excused herself, saying that she had other business to attend to. I think she just didn't want to watch. Okay, let's fire up the forge, blacksmith said and placed a wingtip on the small red symbol emblazed on the side of the brick and metal box. The symbol began to glow, and the magic circle formed in the center of the box. Then it erupted into flames. End of chapter. Okay, let's fire up the forge, the blacksmith said and placed a wingtip on the small red symbol emblazoned on the side of the brick and metal box. The symbol began to glow and the magic circle formed in the center of the box. Then it erupted into flames. First, we need to prepare our materials, he said as he flew over to a small pile of metal rods in the corner of his shop. He pointed one of his graying wingtips at one of them, and a yellow glow enveloped the rod, and it began to float towards the table with ruins etched into the top. What are these for? I asked, gesturing at the engravings. Different things. One is for holding the metal in place, another for keeping it hot so it is more malleable, and the final one is to cool it off slowly for the tempering process, he explained. I didn't know much about metalwork in my world, but I didn't know that this was probably something the blacksmith on Earth would kill a man for. Impressive, I said. Really? Those are pretty standard ruins for metalwork. Are they uncommon on your world? He asked as he pressed the ruin of Forge again, making the flames grow even bigger. Magic doesn't exist in my world. 
We'd have metalwork, though, I told him, and when I did, he looked like I'd been speaking gibberish. A world without magic, how can such a thing exist, let alone have metalwork? He sounded flabbergasted. We use a gas called propane to create fire hot enough to heat the metal, and as far as the shaping, I think they use automatic machine hammers now. I explained, but he still seemed confused. I spent a few minutes explaining what I did know about Earth's metalworking, which was not much, while the blacksmith nymph sat in stunned silence and occasionally asking a question. Some of the questions I could answer, but most I couldn't. Our conversation had lasted so long that the forge almost went cold and needed to have more mana put into it. It was about to do that himself, but I thought that it would be a good opportunity to learn how to use runes properly. So I asked him to show me and explain how to use the forge's rune. It's uh, pretty simple, he stated. Just make contact with the rune and then start flowing your mana into it. May I try? I asked. He nodded his head and I placed a hand on the rune and followed his instructions. Flowing mana into it was easy enough, just like paying for something. But as soon as I did, the ruin glowed a bright red, and the forge nearly exploded. Flames began pouring out of the furnace's opening so quickly that the blacksmith thought it best to close the door. It wasn't like that when you did it, I pointed out. You must have put in quite a bit of mana, he said. The more mana that goes into a ruin, the stronger the effect. I wiped some sweat off my brow. The forge had been going for a while, and the room was growing hot enough that I was glad once he closed the furnace door. So, uh, can you show me how to make the rods float like that? I asked. Of course, it's pretty simple, actually. He said and floated one towards me for a practice on. Just imagine wrapping the whole bar in a blanket of mana and manipulate that, as if you're picking it up by strings rather than the bar itself. It made sense to me, so I gave it a try. I closed my eyes and held the bar in my hand. Then imagine closing a wave of mana around the entire bar, and lifting that manner up. I felt the metal leave my hand and open my eyes to see it floating. You're unnatural, he said, and floated the bar into a small open window of the furnace. Thanks, by the way. How long will it take for the metal to heat up? I asked. Not long, it's a flame ruin, and the sides of the furnace are made of stones that reflect a lot of heat. So, for a bar this size, uh, ten minutes, he explained. The time went by fast as I continued practicing moving the bar around and controlling it. Do you want to do the honors of putting the bar out and placing it on the table? I'd love to, I replied and went over to assist him. Okay, just be careful that you don't lose control and drop it. It'll be glowing red hot and might burn you if it touches you. He told me. I carefully wrapped my mana around the bar and slowly pulled it from the flames. But as soon as it was out, we noticed a problem wasn't red hot. In fact, it wasn't hot at all. And neither was the forge. I couldn't feel any heat coming from it. Oh, no, I realized. I I'm sorry. I think I've inverted the forge with my magic, I explained. What do you mean? The Neom asked. My magic is inversion. I can invert the types of any form of magic. I guess when I used the rune, I must have caused the fire rune to turn into an ice rune or something, I exclaimed. Inversion, he wondered. Can't say that I've ever heard of that. He looked over at the metal rod and saw that it was indeed wasn't hot at all. But nevertheless, it is fixable. Just place the rod over there and I'll fix the forge. 
I floated the rod to the table, and he suggested that, and flew over to the ruin. He placed a weight upon the ruin, and the flames went out, then removed it and repeated the process to turn it back on. I tried to put the rod down as gently as I could manage, but as soon as it hit the table, it shattered like glass dropping from a three-story window. Sorry, I said, looking down at the shattered mess. How in Atmosia did that happen? The blacksmith exclaimed. I took a quick note of the phrase and reminded myself to ask Suma about the world's name. It must have been the cold, I theorized. The cold broke the rod, he amazed. I guess if you get anything past a certain temperature, it becomes fragile. I said, using magic to pick up the pieces and place them on the table. Just as I finished picking up the final piece, the nymph said that it would take another few moments for the forge to heat up fully. That was fine with me. I wanted to try something. I closed my eyes and started to focus on the pieces of the shattered rod. What are you doing? He asked as I sat on the floor with a small shard of metal in front of me. Heat is just the atoms of an object vibrating rapidly. I want to see if I can induce that effect without flames. All I really need to do is add energy after all. I explained with my eyes closed still focusing on the shard. I pictured flowing manner into the broken bit of metal and then causing the atoms of the shard to vibrate quicker and quicker until the metal started to glow. I imagined the atoms absorbing the energy of my manner into themselves. Then I heard it. No! How did you do that? I opened my eyes and saw the red-hot shard of metal almost beginning to melt on the floor. End of chapter. This is a special thank you to the one, the only, the legendary Erak Hino, who has become the only Tier 6 patron. I just want to thank the T5 patrons and channel members. Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Australia the Dreamer, Trigger95, Pudic Yol, Meridian117, Olivia, Jordan Buxbaum, Angry Marine, Albarden Gaster, and Barky. Thank you very much. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. There are links down below both to support this channel and for the author of this fiction. Anyways, I hope you all have a fantastic one, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.